Finding out where the wind blows with meteorologist Kitten Jwecki on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from a undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri, joined on the boards, as always, by Philip Frasica from his undisclosed location in Kansas City. Hi, Philip. Hey, happy to be here. Well, it's happy to have you here, too. And this is a really, I'm actually pretty excited about this. It's been a while since uh, we've had a uh, guest from outside of Renew, Missouri uh, on to talk about uh, some of the issues that we care about. But uh, we are graciously joined today uh, by Kenton Jwecki. If you are a uh, resident of mid-Missouri, you may recognize him as a meteorologist from KOMU, the NBC affiliate based in um, Columbia. Kenton, hi. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, like, I, okay, so, okay, so one of the things before we get into why we have you on here, uh, one of the things that if you're not from mid-Missouri that you might not know about KOMU is in addition to being a, uh, a TV station here that, uh, that does NBC News, it's also uh, a place where we teach uh, broadcast journalism. Kind of, can you talk about the shared mission of that, uh, your, your television station and how that works? Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. Uh, so KOMU is one of the only three independently owned TV stations in America. Uh, we don't have a higher company above us. We're independently wow. owned. We are owned technically by the university, but we we don't get, of course, any revenue from them or anything. Our account is with them, but we are functioning like a regular TV station. It's all ad revenue, right? That's what funds us and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so we don't get any tax dollars or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, but we are part of the University of Missouri. And one of those missions, we're also the only TV station then in America that's an NBC affiliate or an ABC affiliate or whatever, what have you, that's owned by a university. And so we wow. have the number one journalism school in America at Mizzou. Yeah. And for that broadcast portion of that journalism school, we do a lot of hands-on teaching at KOMU. So we have yeah. students as our reporters, we have students as our producers, we have students um, sometimes directing, we have, of course, also student meteorologists. Now, meteorology is also not part of journalism school. Um, and that's something that some people don't necessarily know, right. but we're part of um, just the atmospheric school and, and environmental sciences. And so there's a, a meteorology program. So the basically how it works for broadcast students for meteorology, if they want to do broadcasting, then we have a broadcast class. There's only one class for meteorology students. It's broadcast meteorology. Okay. Um, and then they can also come and, and intern with me and intern with my team, and then we'll teach them. And then they actually get their first job as well, because we uh, also hire them to do our weekend weather. Um, so we train yeah. them up and then eventually they can have their first job before they graduate, which is what all of the broadcast students do all in journalism is they all get their first job before they graduate, um, which is part of why it's the best journalism school because they get the hands-on right away in college. Yeah, it, it really is. It is incredible. I mean, you know, to see, you know, that kind of hands-on learning because I always feel like you have to kind of do something before you really know, know it. And so I think the fact that you all offer that is really very unique and very interesting. I, I didn't know it was that unique, but that's, that's, that's very cool. So you're also like kind of an instructor too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I came up through the program. Mm -hmm. And then um, I 
stuck around and people kept leaving. So they kept making me <laughs> higher up the totem pole. And wow. uh, I've been, been the chief here since 2015. Um, okay. So years now. Wow. And uh, yeah. And so I, <laughs> I also uh, instruct that and, and, and bring up new folks that then I luckily enough, I'm, I'm able to see them leave and go and, and have other jobs and, and see them grow, which is really cool. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, to kind of just hop into and we're kind of going to go back into your role as meteorologist and what you do for uh, broadcasting here and there. But I want to kind of talk a little bit about why I wanted to have you on. Um, we I have been watching you do a series about climate and kind of educating uh, viewers and people online. And one of the reasons we uh, why it kind of came to the forefront of my mind is we've been working on a project involving uh, rural electric cooperatives and attitudes about uh, uh, renewable energy in rural Missouri. And one of the people that you had on not too long ago was from the Yale Center of Climate Communication. I think that's their name. And we actually, after we we talked, after you talked to them, we reached out to them and, and interviewed them for this uh, for this document we wrote, which is available uh, at renewmo.org. And uh, I, and I thought, you know, and it was really interesting because, I, you know, I don't hear a lot of people in your line of work, meteorology, talk about climate. And so I kind of want to talk to you about that a little bit. But before we kind of dive into that, like kind of talk about what this series is that you're doing and, and what was the catalyst for it and, and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. So I started, it's called Show Me Climate. Um, Missouri being the show me state, as we all know. Uh, and I started it a year ago. And my goal was to, at that point, a year ago, last fall, uh, 2019, was to just get the basics out there. You know, my first story, the very first story I did was, here's the difference between weather and climate. They're not the same thing. So here's the difference, <laughs> right? right? Uh, we like, I was like, I got to start at the beginning, because there's just because you're right, and there aren't very many people talking about it. And so I want to make sure that we're educating folks on, on what the difference is, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about what's going on. So I want to be that source of fact and of truth and somewhere that they can go for, for knowledgeable information. Uh, so yeah, talking about the difference between that, talking about what is renewable energy, what are fossil fuels, what are the differences, um, right. you know, talking with our Missouri state climatologists and seeing, talking about the trends that we're seeing in Missouri and how it's not the same necessarily as everywhere else in the world. Um, in the summer, Missouri is actually not, it's really not warming much. In fact, in some places, in some years, it's actually a little cooler. Um, mm -hmm. And that's with, with the Midwest as a whole. So that's different than what you might hear elsewhere. Also, our, our winters are warming rapidly more than any, any other season that we have here in Missouri. And right. that's also not how it is everywhere else necessarily in America. So, um, yeah, just talking about the basics and the facts. And that's really what I wanted to get into. And then this year, this fall, I kind of changed it a little bit. And now I'm also talking to other experts in the field too, because I don't want it to just be my voice being heard. And, and you know, I don't want people get, getting an, uh, annoyed with Ketan just talking endlessly about climate. Um, so I was, I'm talking to other climatologists. I'm talking to other experts in, in their specific fields, because I'm, I'm not a climatologist, right? I'm a meteorologist, which is weather. Um, right. And so... I know a lot about climate and I've educated myself a lot about climate and I've talked to a lot of climate colleagues about this, but um, there are other people that certainly know more than me and I want people to hear from them too. And I have this platform that I can share. I, I can share other people's um, knowledgeable expertise and that's what I wanna do. Now, when you talk about uh, this misinformation you see out there about 
climate and global warming, certainly that's something we see too, but I kind of wonder, is that something you observed or is it something that, you know, in your role, because people see you on television, they, they, they probably come up and talk to you a little bit like they know you. Uh, is this something you have heard directly from people or is this something that you've just observed just from your personal observations about um, misinformation about, about this topic? Both. Um, um, I've had people come up to me maybe once or twice and, and talk about it a little bit, but for, for the most part, it hasn't been in person. It's mostly been online, right? When I'll, when I'll share a story or something, you have the people oh. on Facebook that'll comment on it or, or on Twitter or something like that. But the vast majority of people are, are, are not like that. And they just want to know the facts and they want to know what's actually going on. Um, but certainly I've seen that online. Um, also in my personal life too, um, if you don't mind me digging a little bit back to how I actually came Please. to climate. Yeah. So we, I grew up in central Nebraska, a farming okay. family, right? And um, yeah. like love farmers, need farmers. Like that is exactly, I, I farmed in the summer on my grandparents' farm. Um, and, but it was, it, I, I didn't hear about climate ever, right? It was always about the weather and things like that. And so I didn't know about climate really when I came to Mizzou to go to meteorology school. Um, and then in meteorology school, we did have a climate class, um, but unfortunately that professor of that climate class is actually, so there's a stat that um, 97% of all climate research that's peer reviewed is not only for, you know, in support of climate change, but it's um, what, like 100% is in support of climate change. You cannot deny climate change, but 97% of that research from climatologists uh, is saying that it's also human caused. Um, Right. climate change. And that's kind of the big difference. Is it human? Is it not? And so one of our unfortunate climate professor at Mizzou doesn't think that it's major, it's majorly human caused climate change. And so therefore just, again, I didn't know anything coming into Mizzou and then at Mizzou, I kept learning. And so then it, it, it's not that he taught us against that. That's not what it was, but right. he, he didn't tell us that there was more to the story. And so I just kept thinking, you know, yeah, you know, it just happens. It's, you know, this is the current changing and whatever. Mm. It's not changing rapidly and it's not, you know, all that stuff, which it is changing rapidly and it's due to human, due, due to humans. Um, and so then after college, when I started working in TV and I forecast every single day right? and I started seeing, it was literally, it took me a year, but a year in to forecasting every day, I saw changes. I saw because I look at averages, I love statistics, and I love data. So I, I'm always looking at past data. And I share a lot of that on air too. Uh -huh. But I uh, saw that the nights are warmer than our days are more often. So when I look at the averages, our, our nights are above average more often than our daytime highs are. And I'm like, okay, so we have warmer nights, like a lot of them. That's interesting. That's not necessarily normal. And that was kind of the first thing I noticed. And then we got, of course, we had a terrible drought in 2011, 2012. Yeah. Uh, and then we have... 2013, 14, especially that we had then major flooding going on. And then we've had a lot of floods since then, actually. Right. Um, and it's been, that's not normal. So I, I started noticing those things just in my, my work. And then I started doing my own research and I started reaching out to other colleagues. And I realized that the information, I, I, I wasn't given the whole story and there's much more to the story and there's much more truth behind behind what's actually happening in the world. And it's important to, to talk about. So it was, it was a very big learning process for me because I came into college not believing in human-caused climate change. And now that I've seen it with my own eyes and my own data, uh, I am talking about it on air because I think it's that important. Yeah, and I wanna, yeah, 
want to go back to something real quick. Yeah, you and I both come from a farming background. I, I'm from Southwest Missouri, you know, more cattle based. I mean, Nebraska, I imagine you're doing a lot of crop farming out there. Crop and uh, cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, but one thing I've noticed that when you talk to farmers who, who tend to be pretty skeptical, conservative folks, they might not use the phrase climate, but they certainly know something's different. They, they certainly know that like the way that they plant and the way that they deal with crops, even, even cattle farmers who are doing like hay and that sort of thing, well, they know that the uh, the window for <clears throat> for planting and that sort of thing is l- more limited than it used to be. I mean, you hear them talk about that, whether they call it climate or not. I mean, at least that was my experience. I don't know if you just heard people say, well, there's something weird going on or things are different, but I, that was my experience. Did you ever yeah. hear anyone talk about that? Honestly, I, I, I don't because I, I, I literally just wasn't exposed to it at all. We didn't talk about it. And, and if something like that ever were, were to come up, I'm sure, you know, and I, I don't remember this specifically, but just from, from knowing it, them and, and my family and, and farmers, you know, change is not something that you like to talk about, right? It, it's <laughs> yeah. maybe scary and yeah. it can be yes, all of those is. things. Mm-hmm. And so if someone is talking about change, you're just going to probably dismiss them and you might not even stop listening to them because it's right. scary and you don't want to talk about it. But the thing is, is that what we're seeing, of course, is actually happening and farmers are seeing it. And so I have seen, though, now recently that farmers are are seeing it more and they're agreeing with it and they are accepting it and they're starting to make some changes, especially in Missouri. I was just talking to an ecologist and um, he was talking about, about farmers and how they are making big changes in Missouri and getting into more sustainable farming and, it, and it's helping them. It, it, it is, it, yeah, it is important. And that was just kind of an aside when you mentioned that because, yeah, because I, one thing I wanted, yeah, because, you know, with your background and where you learned about this, I mean, one of the reasons why your reporting and this series struck out, stuck out to me was because a couple of years ago, I read a book uh, by Nate Silver called The Signal and the Noise, and he interviewed a number of climatologists and meteorologists. And one thing he noticed is a lot of meteorologists were reluctant to talk about climate because they said, well, look, I mean, predicting the weather in a given day or a given week is pretty tough. How can we possibly know what it's going to look like 10 years from now? But it seems to me, and I, and I guess this is what I want to talk to you about a little bit, it seems to me that you know, you talk about climatology and, and meteorology, but it seems to me like my background's in economics, right? So like when you look at the study of economics as a science, you look at individual firm behavior, microeconomics, and then you look at like the economy as a whole, aggregate economics, and they all function, it, it functions within each other. I mean, they kind of work with each other. So, I mean, isn't there like something to be said that if you're doing meteorology, you have to look at that as like a like a microcosm of climatology or am I thinking of, am I using the wrong analogy here? Um, uh, <laughs> can you re-ask your question? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, like basically I look at it saying, you know, meteorology is like, uh, like a micro version of climatology. Am I, am I is that wrong? To, is it two different sciences? But because it seems like it, it should be it, it, like it, it part be. of the same. It can be in some ways, definitely. One of the things that I'm sure people hear about all the time when there's a climate pattern that is called El Nino or La Nina or neutral. Um, those are the three, the three types that we're always in um, or going in and out of. This winter, we're going into a La Nina. Um, and so that is a climate pattern, right? It, it, 
Mm-hmm. El Nino can't hit California's coast, right? That doesn't happen. A storm can, but um, El, El Nino yeah. is a big climate pattern, right? And that's the difference between weather and climate. Weather is a the atmospheric conditions at a certain point in time, and climate is the long-term average of our conditions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we, we do work with climate tools, certainly to work on a forecast. So with La Nina, we can look and say, okay, well, if we're going into this climate pattern, then we're more likely to maybe be a little bit drier or a little bit wetter or a little bit hotter or cooler. And so we, we definitely do use that. So there, there are connections, certainly. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause I, you know, cause I, you're the first person in meteorology that I've observed and I've lived in a couple of different media markets. I haven't just lived here. Uh, that's that is someone who does what you do, who talks about it. And it made me think that there must be some sort of professional aversion to it or an aversion from somewhere. And maybe it's just that it's a different field. Maybe I'm, I'm just thinking about it like, well, it's just weather and what's the difference. And that's just my kind of layperson way of analysis, analyzing it. But I mean, but you obviously see a connection there because I mean, and you see it's important to educate people about it. So clearly it's something that you have identified as yeah. something that people should know about, or at least you feel like you can educate people about. So yeah. why is that? Why are you so unique? <laughs> I guess is what well, I want to know on that, on that front. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's not a, a textbook meteorologist and mm-hmm. um, everyone is still their own, their own person, their own human. We have our own values. And yeah. of course, you also have to listen to your station management, right? And I told you we're independently owned, one right. of three in America. So other, other stations might be owned by a bigger company and maybe they don't want yeah. them to talk about it. So for us, though, um, they've always been open to me talking about it and they've been fine with it and have had no problems. And I've actually heard a lot of a lot of thank yous from a lot of folks, either at the station or just in public um, for, for being someone who's actually talking about it. But everyone has their own values. And as a meteorologist, you also have, of course, you know, if you need a job and you got to go somewhere, then you got to go. But if you have right. an opportunity to choose where you go, then you get to think about your own values. So, for example, I would never leave KOMU to go somewhere where they're not going to let me talk about climate because wow. it's it's the biggest issue in man- to mankind. Like, I mean, I can't yeah. not. Why can I not talk about this? Like, I don't understand. And it's, it's unfortunate that it's become so polarized and so politicized yeah. because it is literally just fact. Climate change, one of, the, one of my favorite, you might remember this from my interview with the, Clay, the Yale scientist, one of her quotes, um, I asked her, is climate change an opinion? And she said, climate change is not an opinion because yeah. it's not. And it's not a belief yeah. system. It's not something you believe in or you don't. It's something you accept or you don't accept because it is reality. Yeah, and I mean, and, I, and we talked a little bit about in our in our prep phone call about, uh, before this that we as a group, Renew Missouri, tends to de-emphasize climate because we work in Jefferson City, we work with conservative communities around Missouri, and it does tend to, you know, it is a it has become a little partisan. It's it's not as bad as it used to be. <clears throat> I, I certainly think people see the value of addressing this issue. There's other, I mean, we focus a lot on economic issues involving renewable energy and energy efficiency. Like that's a real, that's something that's easy to, 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 to get people to agree on. <clears throat> but yeah, it is, it is, it is frustratingly something that has become, yeah, as you said, something you either say is acceptance or not. Like I almost like think you could say that about COVID to a certain degree that there are some people who have accepted it 
and some people who haven't, and they're they're not looking at the science, they're not looking at the trends, and um, and it's really a science thing, right? It's a it's an attack yeah. against science in general, whether that be a, a pandemic and you know viral, um, or whether it be the climate, and that it's it's all about scientists looking at the data, telling you what they're seeing, and then you either agreeing with it or not agreeing with it, um, and that's that's what's really kind of scary I guess about 2020 for me is because of I'm seeing yeah. all that pushback and I'm like wait yeah. though we can't not trust scientists like we're like scientists are here to help us like it's not right. like a, and there's no th like if when there's a majority of scientists agreeing on something and saying that this is happening and it's real and this is what you need to do to fix it like uh, they're not doing that to to do anything except for help humans and help like I mean I don't I don't understand why there's such a big pushback against it. And it's kind of scary um, in that in that sense. There's a really great quote, if you don't mind me reading a quote from... Please. Um, so there's a quote from Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is a amazing climate communicator. And this is what she's she said. A thermometer isn't conservative or liberal. It gives us the same answer no matter how we vote. So as a climate scientist, I don't tell people how to vote. But as a climate scientist, I can and should fact check statements about science. And at this point in time, I think it is more important than ever to do so because facts and truth matter. You can't say, I don't believe in gravity. I know some, some scientists who say it isn't real, but if you take a step off the cliff and even worse, if you take millions of people with you, you're going down just as fast as someone who does believe and accept in gravity. So it's really interesting, just that again. I, I, I love the, the first line, a thermometer is not conservative or liberal like right. it, it's it's just it's just fact and, and it's it's really frustrating that this is where we've come to especially because now we're at a point where you can see climate change happening yeah. so back yeah. in the 1980s is when nasa first told congress about climate change and they said the big changes that we're seeing in, in the 1980s like the big change that we've seen recently is due to climate and it's due to human activity that's changing the climate and since, and at that point, you couldn't really see it as much, right? And, mm -hmm. but they were trying to give those warnings out. And then there was other climate scientists and we all started doing all this research and all this stuff started happening, but you couldn't necessarily see it. So people didn't take it seriously. You know, I, I think as humans, a big thing is if you can't see it, then you don't believe it, right? Right. But now we're at a point where it's too late for, for that first phase. And now we're, we are in it and we are yeah. seeing those changes dramatically our climate has changed rapidly we're in a different world than we used to be yeah and now that we see it we're still there's still people who don't accept it and that's um that's alarming it is um it is alarming and uh, you know and I, and I realized you know i think that there's been kind of an anti-science i mean we haven't we're not burning anyone at the stakes now like we used to <laughs> when they would say things scientifically that maybe we found um controversial uh but i you know it certainly seems like yeah when you're when you're talking about this issue when you're talking about this topic it is to paraphrase a, a politician who you know did a movie about it it's kind of an inconvenient truth uh which i you know which it is like i have to make all these changes and i have to do all these things differently um because from our perspective as far as like renewable energy goes it seems like it's a simple cause and effect issue if you put uh, chemicals and pollutants in the air, there's going to be an effect to that. I mean, that just seems like a basic, that's just as simple as like throwing a ball against a wall and watching it bounce back. Like there's always going to be something like that. And so the fact that, but if we have to make these big changes, 
Well, that's harder to accept. If we have to change something about how we live our life or like how our society operates, like, you know, like adapting to renewable energy as an example, that then becomes maybe more expensive or maybe just changes a lot. Maybe that just becomes unappealing. You know, I think though for renewable energy, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a little bit more expensive maybe to make that adaption. Um, mm -hmm. But it, there was a, a stat a couple years ago that was fascinating. Someone researched and found that the the money that it took to re retrofit all of America at the time with renewable with plumbing, right? When plumbing became a thing back in the day, yeah. right? That was something everyone wanted and everyone needed, and it was it was it was for healthy you know healthier living and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the money that it took to do that is also what we would could do. Like we we did that easily. Everyone has plumbing, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. That's also what it would take to do to do renewable energy, and oh. uh, so everyone can do that also, and then that can be our future. And it really needs to be. And what's interesting too about renewable energy is whether people want to accept it or not, that's where the future is going, yeah. right? I don't, who knows how many years in the future that's going to be, but it's not going to be in my lifetime. I do not assume, unfortunately, but eventually we're all going to be in renewable energy. So I think the people and the organizations and the governments that really invest in it now and do spend that money are going to be just, I mean, if we're talking about the, the, the future of the world. I mean, the, for the rest of time, not like the past however many hundred years that we've had this type of fossil fuel electricity, but like many, many, many more years than that in generations. So um, yeah, it's it's really looking ahead to the future and again, an early start is not gonna be a bad thing, even if it does take a little bit more. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. And I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I'm a little more optimistic. I think that, um, I think that uh, you're going to, I mean, I think you're already seeing more proliferation of renewable energy right now. Uh, I think you're going to see an acceleration of that in the next 10 years. I mean, I think by 2050, I don't know how old of a guy you are, but I think by 2050, you're going to see almost all of our power coming from renewable energy in some form or fashion at, at, at the maximum before then. Um, I'll be, oh my gosh, how old will I be? If I'm lucky, I'll be 73 by the time we hit uh, 2050. So I hope, I hope to see it. Um, so I guess, you know, when you're studying this, and you've kind of taken it on yourself to, to educate yourself about this as you educate your uh, audience. And what's like some, what is, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about renewable energy? What is it that has surprised you perhaps the most about, about that aspect of, 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 of this journey you've gone on? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, when I was learning about renewable energy, one of the main things I, I had, I already, I knew about all the forms but what I learned was more of the specifics of when, you know, because one of the pushbacks to renewable energy, of course, is the, the energy it takes to, to mine the minerals, right? And, and to do all of that. And people say, well, it's going to take just as much of that and that it is not, and that's not true. Um, but um, that's one of the pushbacks. So I had to learn about that. I'm like, okay, I, I didn't, because at the beginning of, of this, I didn't, I hadn't thought all of that through yet. That oh yeah, well I guess to have a wind turbine, you do have to mine that from the ground, and that'll take fossil fuels to do that, and blah blah blah. Um, and then so I, I, I had to learn about those specifics of just building those, and then batteries and how batteries work for especially solar energy and and for wind turbines and all this. Right, it's all about batteries. So luckily, there's a lot of science going on to make batteries better and more efficient, and eventually to have that waste hopefully be renewable yeah. in some form as well. 
Um, so that's huge. And so it, it was more of those like nitty gritty things that I've been learning a lot about that I found very fascinating. Also about, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to step on your toes. So tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong from what you've been telling folks, but that nuclear energy also isn't completely renewable and that there's nowhere to put that, that waste um, that we get from, mm -hmm. from the reaction that has to create renewable or that has to create nuclear energy. So it was interesting too, because eventually, originally nuclear energy was in my, you know, renewable energy lineup. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I guess it's not completely renewable because there's nowhere to put that radioactive waste when it's done. Um, and then also the hydroelectricity is actually has a lot of negative effects to it because yeah. it changes our waterways. And it, there's right. a, a very interesting, if you just even look at Washington state, they completely built a lot of dams for hydroelectricity and then the salmon couldn't come in. And the, that, that's where they, they um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Create new great or uh, uh, no that they have to come in so the same have to come in so that they can um eight yes yes mate and then yeah. and and they lay their eggs there and then eventually they go back out but the salmon couldn't come back in anymore and because the yeah. salmon can come back in and they couldn't do that because of of these dams that were built then there was no food for more animals that were inland and because there was no food for those animals inland, there were less animals. And because there was less animals, th that changed the entire ecosystem of that area. And then that had, so there's like all these different reverberating, everything is connected type of uh, situations. So you also have to look and make sure that while you're going into renewable energy, that you're doing it in a way that is still environmental and sustainable. Because just because it's renewable energy doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be the best thing for the environment around you and so you have to make sure that that you're still doing that and that's also very interesting yeah that's right i mean yeah and, and to that to those points i mean the way you know uh nuclear yeah is very low emission you don't like see a lot of emission come from that but it is it is wasteful and um and hydro under missouri law is considered uh, a renewable energy because we have a renewable energy standard here in missouri that our group helped put on the ballot in 2008 and passed and uh, hydro got added to that later by the legislature. Um, but I, my, our, my philosophy, the way I look at renewable, I think of something that comes from a, an infinite source, you know, <laughs> I yeah. mean, the sun is infinite. The wind, wind is infinite. Geothermal uh, power is infinite to a certain extent. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously nuclear can be too, when you think about atoms and how that's processed. But I mean, I, I look at it more of, you know, the source, the source of it is not something you have to like worry about losing. It's always going to come back. Yeah. renewable it's, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's like how i've always defined it even if the law doesn't define it that way or conventional wisdom doesn't explain it so that's kind of that's the basis we use um so no i think that's i think that's uh, i think that's right i think it's a it's interesting because i think yeah not, nuclear is better than coal uh hydro is better than coal but it's still not perfect it's still not great and, and frankly, there's no perfect way to produce energy. Energy to a certain extent is gonna be wasteful. Anything you consume is gonna create waste. Even solar, even wind, as you said, there's equipment that goes with that. Uh, the batteries are not uh, infinite either. So, I mean, you know, I think you have to accept how much you're gonna, you know, what, what are you willing to, you know, concede to on those points? Yeah, and I think it's also important to not let that be your caveat out to just dismiss it right because yeah. it, 
there's a lot of times where it's like, well, that's still wasteful and that's still doing this. So let's just forget about it. I'm like, no, right. we can't keep digging up these fossil fuels <laughs> yeah. and we burning them. And like, we can't, like, that's the alternative. Either we accept this and we do go into that renewable energy or we keep doing what we've always done. And that's not working for future gener. Like I just, whew, it's not, it's not a thing. We can't keep doing it. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I mean, as a, as a, another economics professor, I quote on here quite a bit said, we're not squishing any more dinosaurs. So we got to do something. So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing, I mean, so you've done this series, you're doing this talk. I mean, when you look at like long-term, you think about like, what is it going to take for the public to get fully behind climate? I mean, what do you think, what do you think like society's not doing to get people ready for that? Why aren't we, why are we not teaching people? What, what, what should we be doing from, from your perspective when you're doing this, you're, you're on television, you have a web presence, but I mean, it's only so much. So what else can, what else should, what else do you think would be helpful? One of the biggest things um, I think is, there's two. One of them is the what we've come to to accept as a, as for, for for ecology, right? How much we're how much we're using as Americans, especially, um, right? How much how many things we buy all the time, right? And all of that takes energy to create and to ship and to all of that kind of stuff. So, what part of it is also becoming a bit more no waste. And if you do buy things, having them be more sustainable, having them be yeah. reusable, having them be renewable. Um, you know, it's, it's one of three hours, recycle, renew, reuse, or or, or something like that. Um, and the first one is make sure that you can reuse it. Right. Um, because before you can recycle it, if you can reuse it, that's amazing. And that's what you should do. Uh, also not having so much buying so much plastic, even switching over to glass a little bit more because glass is actually much more recyclable than plastic. I mean, plastic for sure. And Plastic is just a whole different uh, subject, but that's part of it. I think is how much we're using and how much we're we're buying and how much we're consuming. Um, I think if we were to con- to switch over to a mindset, which I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'm a pessimistic about it because I I think of myself as an optimistic realist when it comes to weather. I'm an optimistic realist. I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you all the facts. I'm going to tell you what I tell my family. And but but I'm going to be real about it. But there's also a light at the end of the tunnel. A tunnel. There's something good to be said about the weather. And so that's how I operate as a meteorologist. When yeah. I think about climate, I guess maybe I am now I'm thinking about it a little bit more pessimistic just because I keep seeing all these big pushbacks and all this, all these, you know, all this yeah. stuff. And so um, I don't know if we can change our society to be, to consume less, but I think that's definitely what we need to do. You know, yeah. even just when you think about Christmas, right. Buying all these gifts, right. Maybe instead of buying something that someone might throw out in a year, you give them something different. Like maybe you give them, a an, an experience or, or yes. a class to learn something new yeah. or buy them something that is renewable or reusable or you know environmental or there's just a lot of different things but i think buying is is a big thing and we can we can spend our money we can still spend money we can still have a very healthy economy we just need to do it maybe in a little bit of a different way um so that's one one part of it and the other part then is of course i think honestly it's it's advertising because when you think about advertising, you think about how things are advertised. Just look at all the, you know, recently when we're recording this, we've had Black Friday and, and all that kind of stuff. We've had a lot yeah. of big shopping going on. 
And I just look at those commercials and I'm looking at them now at the first for the first time really differently because I have become more no waste in the past couple of years. And I'm like, we're, we're showing and playing all this good music about buying all this stuff that is just going to get thrown away. And, and it's, yeah. it's interesting. And so advertising, I think, is also a big part of it. But I think it's a big mental change that we all kind of have to accept, hopefully, in the coming years of consuming less and, you know, composting. Composting is great, right? You can actually take yep. more carbon dioxide out of, out of the atmosphere. And when you put food waste, a lot of people think composting is also done in the landfill. But really, when you put food waste in the landfill, it creates methane gas. Yeah. Um, and methane gas is, in, in the short term, is worse than um, carbon dioxide. Um, yeah. And so, uh, by by composting and, and doing that one, it's fun with kids. Um, honestly, if you have kids, the composting can be really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, it's 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 better, and and you can do your own little your little scraps away, and maybe you'll have more vegetables then because then you can compost them or something like that. So I don't know. There's a lot of different things, but I think one of it is just the, the main. We got to change how we're thinking about the world, but it's also how we've been taught to think our entire lives and how yeah. older generations have, have grown to think and have, have worked for. And it's not easy. And um, <laughs> it's not easy at all. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm slightly pessimistic about it because it, it's comforting to live in the world that we live in, yeah. um, in, in, our, in our consumption-based world. Uh, it's very easy and very simple, but it's not how every country lives. And oh, um, we're, no. we're, yeah. But there are, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like, that's a reason why we've expanded our mission at Renew Missouri to talk about energy efficiency, because the best mm -hmm. kind of renewable energy is energy you're not using. And there's a lot of programs uh, and, and laws out there that help utility companies in Missouri invest. Like they're able to get a rate of return on their energy efficiency, so they're not losing as much money on it. So that's a big thing that Missouri does, which I think helps a lot. Like, I think that's even better than going you know with solar or wind to a certain extent is that yeah we need to be doing that but we need to be using less of it too um but you know i you know yeah you're you know i i'm a pretty pessimistic guy too but every day i get up and i have a hope and a belief that every time i see missouri you know when i see Ameren or evergy or your liberty or some of the other utilities in missouri build another wind farm reduce uh you know the, the amount of megawatts they're producing with energy efficiency having community solar, um, even in a state that's been more skeptical of it, I think there's, I think we have a lot of progress. I think there's a lot of promise. Um, and even look at like the fact 10 years ago, I remember seeing people smoking everywhere. You don't see people smoke anywhere anymore. And that took a while. It took some government intervention. That took some lawsuits, but it also took people just changing their behavior, modifying their behavior. So people smoke less. Which also um, had a lot to do with the advertisement companies, right? Yeah. At the very beginning, right? There's a huge, That's right. like, you look at Mad Men, right? If that TV show <laughs> yeah. was all about advertising, yeah. and a lot of it was about um, cigarettes. Yeah, for that freshly, freshly rolled, uh, that flavor that uh, Don yeah. Draper was trying to sell us. Yeah, so I think I have hope, I have faith. And I, I think as long as there's people out there talking about this, making people aware of this, and, I, and that's why I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm glad that uh, we can um, kind of expose our supporters around the state to what you're doing. So if people are listening to this and they're not in Missouri, where can they learn? Where can they read about what you've been doing or watch some of your uh, watch some of the uh, this series? Yeah. So on all the social medias, I'm at Kenton Jewicki. And then for the yeah. series climate, show me climate. It's KOMU.com slash climate. K 
KOMU.com slash climate. And I have my stories there. Um, we just got a new website actually at KOMU. And so some of my older stories from the past year haven't populated quite yet. So I'm still trying to get those over, but there are stories on there, especially the ones with Yale climate scientists and, okay. and a couple others. And I'm working on some, um, I've been speaking with ecologists and I'm going to be talking more about land use and agriculture and that type of stuff in the, in the, in the, in future series um, stories that are coming up. So this is ongoing. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. There's, I mean, I, unfortunately, this is only a very small portion of my job. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. even on air work is 10% of my job, you know, as, as the chief, I'm in charge of the weather department and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And uh, I, I have to kind of do this in my spare time. Honestly, usually I work on these stories after the 10 o'clock show. So between about 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Usually I'm at the station. I'm just working on other stuff. Um, and this is this is one of those that I, I work on from time to time. So I wish I could spend more time on it because that'd be great. But that is not part of my um, regularly scheduled job. So it's more of just a passion project. Sure. Me. Well, we thank you for doing it. Um, and we want to we want to thank you for your time today. And certainly, if you have any questions for Mr. Jawecki, you can email him. You can find him on social media. We can reach out to him through our um, through our sources. But um, yeah, uh, so if you want to learn more about that, go right ahead. And just from a personal perspective, I know as a I'm a Colombian Montessori parent, and I want to say thank you for your volunteer work you've done for our trivia nights the past couple of years. We didn't do one this year, obviously. Uh, but it's always uh, really appreciated that you do that. So I'll put that in there too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. And so, and for, as far as Renew Missouri goes, folks, uh, one thing we want to pitch before we end today is uh, just a reminder. We've been seeing out a lot of emails about this. We have a webinar on December 18th about implicit bias uh, in, in utilities as well as environmental justice. It's one hour. It's $75. Uh, if you're a Missouri attorney, you can get CLE credit for that. Uh, we are pending uh, credit for that in Kansas. Uh, but even if you're not a lawyer, we think it might be useful for you to tune into that. So if you want any information about that, just go to our website, renewmo.org. Uh, but uh, with that pitch out of the way, I want to thank our guest again, Philip. Thank you for uh, producing. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you like what you hear, subscribe to this on uh, the major podcast platforms, write a review, and share this on your social media uh, you know, on your social media uh, pages. And on behalf of Renew Missouri, this is James Owen, and we'll see you next time on the radio.